Well, good evening, everybody. Great to have you here tonight. I feel like there's a lot, there's new people here. So if you're new, my name's Lewis Lovett. I'm the RUF campus minister. Really glad to have you here tonight. We've been going through a, a series this semester through the Psalms, this book uh, right in the middle of your Bible filled with these songs. These are literally songs meant to be sung by the people of God. And, and we're going through them because uh, for those of you who are Christians, for those of you who have the the sense that God is real and that He actually wants to have a relationship with you and to walk with you, we often don't know how to do that. We often don't know what, what it looks like. What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to say? And the Psalms are given to us as a gift of love so that we might know what to say to Him, how to speak to God. And so tonight we're going to be looking in one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 103, and we're going to be asking, how do we learn how to speak to God when we don't feel forgiven? So if you have your handout, it's printed on there, or a Bible, we're in Psalm 103. It'd be great for you to read along with me, please. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. It's given us because he loves us. Pray with me and then we'll get started. Father in heaven, I am thankful for a chance to bless your name. That's what we are about tonight. And I'm glad that you give us this word as a gift to us and, and as words for us to speak to you. And I pray that you might be working through it right now by your spirit so that we might love you more and love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. I've been thinking this week about all of the changes that have happened with cell phone communication between now and when I got my first cell phone in 2000, about 19 years ago, when I got my learner's permit. And the reason I'm noticing this this week is because I texted someone and asked them if they wanted to get lunch on Thursday. 
And instead of replying with words to my message, a pink heart appeared next to what I said. And then I got a notification telling me that they loved my message. I have no idea what that means. I think it can basically mean about anything. They might have been saying, thank you for texting me. They might have been saying, oh, cool, I see this, and I'm going to get back to you at a later date, but I want you to know that I've read your message. They might have been saying, absolutely, I'll meet you at 12 at the specified location which you mentioned in your previous text. Like, I don't know what they said. I don't know what it means. And the heart is only one of four options you can use to respond to a text on an iPhone without having to type anything or even choosing a cool emoji, which there are now an infinite number of, right? So you can heart someone's text or you can thumbs up it. You guys, you, you are of the generation, you instinctively know the difference between a thumbs up and a heart. I do not know the difference. But you know what to do, right? You say something different. Sounds good is different than I love what you said. I don't understand. So there's that. Then there's also the exclamation mark. It's actually two exclamation marks. I think this means something like, that's crazy. Or maybe, yikes. Like, I don't know. I don't know what it means. And then, and then there's ha-ha. Ha-ha is interesting to me. People used to say LOL in the olden days. LOL is a slang for laugh out loud. And what this means, to, so you guys understand uh, the early 2000s, laugh out loud means I read what you said quietly, but it was so funny that I laughed literally out loud, and the people around me don't know why, but it's because of what I read in your text message, and I want you to know that I thought it was funny. But now we don't do that. It's too much work, so we just click, ha-ha, okay? <laughs> there, are, there are four different ways to affirm someone's text message. Are there more? There's a question mark. There's a question mark, but we're, t- okay, thank you. And there's a thumbs down, right? I'm talking about the positive ones for now, okay? <laughs> like, there's going to be more soon. It used to be just the heart. That was like two years ago. Now there's four. I don't I don't know what the next one will be. Maybe one of you will invent it. And it, it's going to be like a wink or a hmm? I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it seems like there's room for that sort of thing in our communication skills, okay? Uh, here, here's, here's what I'm talking about this. There's four different ways without saying any words, without doing anything but tapping your finger two times of affirming what someone else has said. And I think this is interesting, and I actually think it's fairly appropriate for where our culture is because we are, we are a people who are desperate to be affirmed. We all have on us th- this longing for someone to say, I see you. I hear what you're saying. I know you, and I accept you, and I love you. And in a very, very distant, hazy sort of way, that is what's happening when you double-click and put the heart next to my message. And will I see you Thursday at noon? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Time will tell, okay? (laughs) But we have this desperate longing to be affirmed. And I I know not everyone here tonight is a Christian, but if you are a Christian, our, our need to be affirmed, I think, is actually even a bigger deal because Christians believe that we have this problem of sin that affects us. And for those of you who aren't familiar with that word or have a hard time articulating it, here's, here's how I think about it. Here's what Christians believe. Here's what the Bible teaches. Is that the world was made by God. And because he made it, it belongs to him. And every one of us belongs to him. That he is actually our rightful Lord, our rightful king. And because he cares about us so much, he has given us the gift of telling us the way of life that will lead to goodness and fruitfulness and love and joy and peace. He's given that to us as a gift of love. And what sin is, is you and me saying, no thanks. 
I would like to reject your way, and I would like to do it my way. I would like to replace your good and perfect will with my own selfish will. And because God is the king, this simple act is actually an act of treason, which is a capital offense. And so this problem of sin for Christians is, is very severe. It's very significant. And so it, it begs a question. We stand before God, not just generally like all humans wanting to be affirmed, but as people who have messed up, as people who have made mistakes, as people who have fallen short. How could we possibly receive affirmation with that kind of insecurity? Psalm 103 is a big heart next to you. Psalm 103 is God's way of affirming you, especially as people who are sinful, especially as people who are broken, who have made mistakes, who have regrets. This is God's way of saying, I see you, and I really know you, and I still love you. And so what I want to see tonight is that when we, when we learn how to pray Psalm 103, when we learn how to make these words our own in prayer to God, we actually are given an experience of three things, an experience of remembrance, an experience of removal, and an experience of rejoicing. Remembrance, removal, and rejoicing. So first, Psalm 103 gives us an experience of remembrance. The, the first thing he says, and we sang it on our second song, is actually kind of weird. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Have you noticed how weird that is? It doesn't sound like he's talking to God. It sounds like he's talking to, oh, my soul. He's talking to himself. It's this inward-focused speaking. And, you know, we often wonder, like, how do, the, how do the truths of God's word, how do they change us? How does the truth about who God is actually do something to our hearts? And This is how it happens. It's through this kind of forceful, inward-focused speaking where we actually tell ourselves the truth. We have to tell ourselves the truth. And as we say that to ourselves, we actually remember the truth of who God is. A a lot of you, especially if you're Christians, you, you know some of the right answers about God. Like you know that God made the world, and you know that God is good, and you know that he loves us and he forgives us. But we don't often experience that in our hearts. And Psalm 103 is giving us an avenue for us to start to cultivate that kind of experience. And we do that by not forgetting his benefits. He says this in verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What are his benefits? Verse 3, he forgives all your iniquity. Iniquity is a word for sin. And heals all your diseases. Verse 4, he redeems you from death and crowns you with his steadfast love and mercy. Verse 5, he satisfies you with good and renews your strength, like the eagles. I no longer think, whenever I hear eagles, I think of Lord of the Rings and giant eagles and Gandalf riding into the thing. Um, that, like, that's, that's a remembrance. That's a reminder to you. Don't forget what God is like. Don't forget what posture God has towards people like you and me who are sinners. Towards people who have fallen short towards people who have made mistakes, towards people who are flawed and weak, who try to stay strong but fall again and again and again, God's posture towards those people is this. Love. Forgiveness. Steadfast mercy. He satisfies you with himself so that you might experience 
goodness. He renews your strength so you don't have to be burdened and weary anymore. That's who God is. Here's why this is important. Because we have these times where we, we wake up on a Saturday morning feeling gross, just angry that the thing that we promised ourselves we weren't going to do the night before, we did again. And we have these times when we are uh, just overcome with jealousy and bitterness towards our friends because they have something we don't have, like a relationship or like some kind of leadership position that we apply for. We have these times when we participate in that kind of banter that the people in our house are doing which degrades and objectifies women in a way that we actually would find abhorrent if we were around other people, we, we become aware of our sin. We become convicted that we've messed up. And Psalm 103 teaches us that the thing you're supposed to do when you have that feeling is to talk to yourself so that you might remember how kind and loving and forgiving God is. Now, this can feel especially in that moment when you really realize it, when you're really feeling the weight of your sin, this can feel kind of presumptuous. This can feel a little kind of therapeutic. It can feel a little inappropriate. We actually have the sense that the noble thing to do, the virtuous thing to do, the pious thing to do is to like hang your head and feel really bad about yourself. Do you know what I'm talking about? Don't do it. Because that's not who God is and that's not his posture towards you. His posture toward you in those moments is steadfast love and mercy. And when you start to pray Psalm 103 in those moments, you are reminded of who God is and how he feels toward you. Psalm 103 gives us an experience of remembrance. The second thing tonight is that Psalm 103 gives us an experience of removal. The, the next section, is, uh, section of this psalm is really just a, a deeper excavation of this posture of God towards us, this posture of love and mercy towards sinners. Uh, I think we can often, I at least, really often misunderstand God's heart in the way that he forgives me when I sin. And, and tell me if you ever heard this. Have you ever heard someone say, God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin? You ever heard that? That's the thing I used to hear, at least. I, I don't really like that. Here's why. Because if God loves a sinner but hates the sin, it means there's something in me that God hates. That there is a part of me that God hates. There is something about me as a person who sins that God hates. And that is not the picture of God that we get from Psalm 103. This is the picture of God we get from Psalm 103. In verse 6, he works righteousness and justice for us when we're oppressed. He fights for us. Verse 7, he makes himself known to us. Verse 8, he's merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Verse 9, he doesn't stay angry at us. He lets it go. Verse 10, he doesn't deal with us according to our sins. And then verse 11, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. That does not to me sound like a God who is hating part of me. That does not sound like the kind of God who hates something that's inside me. And then he gets to really what is the central point of this section. What does it mean in a relationship with God for him to love us with this kind of steadfast love? It's verse 12. This is incredible. As far as the east is from the west, 
so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, meaning as far apart as you can go, running in opposite directions at the speed of light, that's how far he takes our sins away from us. Do, do you guys know the feeling of uh, running or exercising, lifting weights, and feeling the burn in your muscles? Do you, do you know the feeling of you're running, you're running up a hill? Like let's say you're, you're running from like that hill by the starts at the parking deck and goes up the street to like the soccer fields in third year? And, and you start to go, and you're feeling good, and halfway up, your, your legs start to feel heavy, and they start to feel tired, and they start to feel hot, and you get that burning sensation. What's happening is that your cells are uh, going through anaerobic cellular respiration, <laughs> which I Googled today, and so I can tell you about. What, what, what's happening is that your, your muscles are not getting enough oxygen, and so they try, the, the cells are trying to make energy for them through this chemical process, and part of what happens is that your, your muscles produce lactic acid, right? And it starts, to, it starts to fill up your muscles. That's what makes you sore. That's what makes you tired. That's what makes you feel the burn. That's what makes you want to stop. That's what makes you feel like that feeling you had at the beginning, like you're going to crush this hill, is not the feeling that you have when you're 60% up. You want to stop, right? I, I actually think of, of our spiritual life as like a long, going on a long run with God. That's our life with God. We're going on a long run, and he's by our side. And, and our sin is lactic acid building up in our quads. Our sin is the thing that makes us start to feel weak. Our sin is the thing that makes us sort of feel tired. Our sin is the kind of thing that makes us feel like we can't make it, where we're feeling the burn, okay? Here's what this looks like. Here's what feeling the burn looks like from a spiritual sense, okay? It's, it's like this. There's no way God still loves me because of the things that I've done. Here's, here's feeling the burn. I've fallen so far. i messed up so many times. What's one more time? What difference is it going to make? Here's feeling the burn. I mean, I know I messed up, but at least I'm not as bad as those people over there. And then I think maybe worst and most insidious of all, I've really let God down. He must be really disappointed in me. He must be so frustrated with me. I better not talk to him for a while until this feeling wears off. There's a ultra marathon runner named Dean Karanazis that I that I recently heard about. This guy is one of the most impressive athletes that I've I've ever heard of in my entire life. Uh, this guy, this is his normal training day. He wakes up and runs a marathon before breakfast. 26.2 miles. Has breakfast, goes about his day. In the afternoon, he does a shorter speed workout, about 12 miles. That's a normal training day. Uh, this guy, Dean Carnazes, one time he uh, woke up at 2 in the morning and ran a marathon and ended at the finish line of a marathon he had registered for and then ran the marathon nonstop, 52 miles. This is a guy who once ran 50 marathons in 50 consecutive days in 50 different states. Like, wake up in Texas run a marathon, drive to Oklahoma, go to sleep, wake up, run a marathon, go to sleep, wake up, drive to Kansas, run a marathon, like all over the whole country. He finished in New York and ran the New York Marathon. And when he was done, he decided he would just run home to San Francisco, which is 2,900 miles away, which he ran in 70 days, averaging about 41.2 miles 
per day. This guy's a freak show. He likes to do this. There's this, there's this run. I wrote down the name of it. It's called the Badwater Ultramarathon. This is a run that starts in the Badwater Basin in California. It's the lowest point in North America. It's like 260 feet below sea level. And this is a race that happens in the summer where you run through Death Valley, one of the hottest places on Earth, uh, from the lowest point to one of the highest points in the area, at least 8,000 feet up Mount Whitney. It's 135 miles nonstop. He's run it 10 times. This is a guy who can do a long run, okay? <laughs> your, your two and a half miles is feeling pretty good right now, isn't it? Yeah, story of my life. But he has, he has an advantage. Dean Karnazes has this genetic condition where when his, when his muscles start to produce lactic acid, that it doesn't build up in his muscles. It, it, it just doesn't. His, his body flushes it out. His body removes it from his system right away. He never, ever feels the burn. He never, ever feels sore, even after 135 miles up a mountain in the desert. Even after 2,900 miles, he can get up the next day and run his 42 miles. No problem. His body removes the lactic acid. This is what is true for us in Christ. This is what running the race of life with God is like in Christ, that that sin does not build up. Those mistakes do not build up, that because of Christ, they are flushed out, they are taken away, they are removed. Constantly, every time, always, and once, for forever. This is, this is what the cross is. The cross is the burn. The cross is the mistakes. The cross is the shame. The cross is the disappointment taken away, removed, and nailed to the cross and destroyed and vanquished. So God does not love the sinner but hate the sin. He loves the sinner and he's destroyed the sin. He loves the sinner and he's removed the sin. That means that when God looks at you, when he sees you, even in your moments of deepest regret, even in your moments of deepest shame, even in your moments of deepest disappointment over yourself, do you know what he says about you? Well done, my good and faithful servant. He says, this is my child whom I love. Everything that is true about God's relationship with the Son, Jesus, is true of you if you follow him. Because your sin has been removed. It has been taken away and nailed to the cross. It is no longer a part of you. It is no longer inside of you. It is no longer a part of your identity. It's been removed. It's been taken away. And so he can say in verse 13 that like a father has compassion on his child, he just delights in you like his child, like his little boy or little girl. He just loves you. The, the next part of this I think is actually really weird. It seems out of place for me. And it says this, As for man, his days are like grass, Debbie Downer. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Here's, here's what I think it's saying. In a psalm that's talking about how God's posture is like towards us as sinners, Compared to how weighty God is, compared to how big God is, compared to how strong God is, what you do, even your sins, are nothing. They have no weight. They're like dust in the wind compared to how great he is. His love is just so much more than your sin. 
This means that God is not frazzled by your mistakes. He is not shocked and surprised by your mistakes the way that you are. He is not upset by your mistakes the way that you are because your sin has been removed. It has been taken from you. It has been dealt with. So that when Jesus on the cross looked up to heaven in the moment of his death and said, it is finished, he meant for you and for me, your sin and its consequences and its weight in your life is finished. It's done. It's been destroyed. So in your moments of sin, you've got to know that God actually wants to affirm you. He doesn't want you to hang your head. He wants you to realize and to remember and to experience the freedom that your sins are not a part of you. They've been taken away. A a, a couple of points of application here. The, The first is this, is that when you feel the burn, when you feel those moments of shame and frustration and disappointment, you need to stop and take out your Bible and read Psalm 103. Because God longs to give you an experience of the freedom of him removing his sins from you. And you need to say that to yourself. He wants to give you that experience. The the second thing I'll say is this, is that you will and you are constantly tempted to judge other people by their sins and their mistakes. To look down on other people because of their sins and their mistakes. To compare yourself to other people because of their sins and their mistakes. To be frustrated at them. To be shocked and upset at them. To be disappointed in them. And when you start to feel that, because of the lifestyle and the choices that your friends and the people around you are making, you need to stop and you need to, you need to repent. God does not deal with them according to their sins. So we better not either. Psalm 103 gives us an experience of remembrance and of removal. And then lastly, it gives us an experience of rejoicing. This, this psalm, which began with this inward-focused speaking, is now elevated to this cosmic song of rejoicing. I'll, I'll read these last few verses, 20 to 22, one more time. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Okay, now we've got the angels of heaven praising God. Verse 21, bless the Lord, all his hosts. That's all his people. That's his church. That's all believers of all of time are now joining their voices. Verse 21, bless the Lord, oh, verse 22, sorry, bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Now we're talking about every atom in the universe. And then finally, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, that we are oriented along with everything else that has ever been and ever will be towards the proper response to God, which is to rejoice in him, which is to praise him, which is to give thanks to him. This is where we're led as people who come to God in the midst of our sin. He reminds us of who he is He removes our sins so that we might be free to rejoice in him. And again, you might be wondering, in the midst of of my darkest moments, am I supposed to be happy? Am I supposed to rejoice? Am I allowed to feel good about things? Yes, you are. Because Christ died for you. And so our response is to rejoice. It is to thank God for his goodness and is to join our voices with all of creation in praising and thanking him. Free of the burden of our sin. Free of the burn oriented towards the God who's taken it away. We're all insecure. We all want and long and are actually made 
for an experience of someone seeing us and looking at us and knowing us and accepting us and loving us. And as we finish tonight, I want to ask you, where are you looking for that affirmation in your life? Where are you looking? Are you looking for your grades as something to give you value? Are you looking to experiences at a party or sexual exploits to give you a sense of meaning? Are you looking for a a future job offer to make you feel like you are worth something? Are you looking for a romantic relationship to make you feel like you belong? Where are you looking? None of those things will satisfy your need to be affirmed because none of those things deal with the weight of your sin, but God does. So read Psalm 103. Remember that he is a God of goodness and mercy. And he longs to give you an experience of your sins being taken away so that you can be freed, sinful men and women though we are, to rejoice in what he's done for us in Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you satisfy us with good things the way that nothing else can. Thank you for this psalm, for reminding us of who you are, and for longing to affirm us and free us even as we come in the midst of our sin. Give us the courage to pray this honestly so that we might experience freedom and love in you. In Jesus' name, amen.